Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft. I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and today we have Jody Skinner with us from Smidgen Press. Jody, it is so fun to have you here. It's been a long time since we've had a new to us guest on the show. And as you know, and as our listeners probably know, we are super passionate about small publishers. We think small is beautiful, and we love the work that small publishers are doing to preserve beautiful treasures, bring them back to life, and in many cases, treat them better than they were originally treated. Thank you so much for your Charlotte Mason. Just saying. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And thanks for having me on today. I'm so excited to visit with you both. Yay. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. So, Jody, we're going to kind of go all over the place today. Our goal is for our listeners to better understand what Smidgen Press is, who you are, and how you got into this, and why. So, tell us, first of all, why Smidgen? What, what is it about the name? That excites you? It starts back when I established a proofreading business back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to communicate. At the time, I didn't really want to brand myself because I was like, well, am I going to build a team? Am I going to do, you know? So I I thought, I want to communicate that the little things are what matter. And so, especially as a proofreader, you know, hey, you know, I'll I'll take care of those commas, but I'm also going to take care of you as the author. Mm. Um, You know, I want to make sure that you, you know, I'm not just red penning your thing to death. I'm caring about this and I want you to match what traditional publishers are putting out and stuff like that. Oh, lovely. So, um, so yes, Smidgen was part of my proofreading business at first and then enter, you know, 2019 when I started rolling out okay, hey, could I actually do reprinted books? That would be, uh, that's kind of a lifelong dream too, in addition to proofreading. And all those doors just kind of kept opening. Wow. And I thought at at that point I was rebranding just as myself Mm -hmm. as an editor and proofreader because it turned out I am the brand. But how about Smidgen Press for a publishing company that means for the little things to matter that cares about the little things from the you know professional classical typesetting to hiring a proofreader all of those things it was right and uh, i knew that if i could swing it i wanted to do the little tiny hardcovers that i had seen someplace and so i was like okay those are gonna be our signature book that's gonna be it so not every book is a good fit for that charlotte mason is far too wordy but a cute little book what is the title of that one diane this one was Jane Eyre. I just happened to get some of those and I thought, oh, I want all of them. And then got sidetracked. She does. And so when I'm in used bookstores, if I find little ones, that's what Diane always wants. She always wants like little tiny Ivanhoe. How can you make Ivanhoe tiny? <laughs> I know. I am so sad because there was a set of 16 Sir Walter Scott books and they were $2 a volume. And I was like, oh, I don't know if those need to come home. with." And uh, as soon as I got home, I was like, I wish I'd gotten them because... Actually, then what what got me started thinking about the small hardcovers was I have a tiny little version of Imitation of Christ that I picked up at oh. a little village bookshop in England, and I just loved it, and I've just carried it around all my life. And well, okay, since college, so <laughs> right, a little life, over <laughs> half my life. <laughs> life doesn't start to get out of college, right? It's like, That's right. Let's exactly. just ignore 
ignore that adolescent phase. (laughs) So I have a priest friend who carries imitation of Christ in his habit. So Father carries it in his habit everywhere, every day, all the time. So a little tiny one like that would be a good fit for him. (laughs) Well, huh? maybe we'll have to put that on the list. So you started off as a proofreader. Why? How? Oh, you know, I was probably eight or nine when I was reading something and I found a spelling error and I thought (laughs) people have to read books to find these. And so I was like, I could I could do this. And I I loved grammar. I I loved grammar tests. I loved spelling tests. I'm like, can you be an adult and just take spelling tests? Because, you know, I want to go to the spelling bee. That would be so much. Okay, no, as a parent, I don't have time to study word lists for ever and ever and read 4,000 of them. But um, no, I, I loved that. And and helping authors put out a quality product that someone else has has loved on with them and loved on the author in the process. Right. Um, I, I just loved that. And it was actually the weekend after my 40th birthday. And so from, you know, nine years old, I, uh, I have this lifelong dream of I'm going to be a proofreader someday. And mm. well, I went to college for uh, my degree is actually in piano performance. Uh, I have a <laughs> master's in pedagogy. I have, and then I married a military member and we've now been married for 20 years going all over the place. Mm. And so I, I taught piano as we went through, but I always mm. kind of had this, I, I still want to do that. I still want to do that. Oh, I love And that. the weekend after my 40th birthday was when God just flip opened the door says, it's time. And I'm it's like, time. what? Are you kidding me? And Yeah, I kind of like you were talking about with your lending library, the things that just, when it's time, it's going to be time. You're not going to be too late. And you're not necessarily going to think you're ready. But when it's time, (laughs) it's still time. Yes. And and you have to, there is a a spiritual art of leaning into his will and trusting that you're not misreading him. And if you are, he'll he'll catch you anyway, because he loves you. But... All your fear and all your anxiety having to say, that's fear. What if? What if I fail? What's the worst that can happen? This is what Diane and I are asking ourselves constantly because, you know, with the lending library and we're, we're getting ready to launch some other things and I, I'm, like, oh, I'm getting so nervous. And she's like, okay, but for what? Like, what is the worst that could happen? You could embarrass yourself. Okay. You could lose some money. Okay. What's the worst that could happen? Go back to not doing it. And it would be fine. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, Sarah, but it was probably 25 years ago that we were in a business that was encouraging you to to have dreams, you know, and, and write down mm. what you wanted to do. And I had it wrote on a three by five card, someday I will have a library. <gasps> oh. And I found that a while back. It's <laughs> It's in a book or a notebook somewhere. And I've never forgotten that, of course, but it also mm-hmm. never... I was never in a position to do it. And now all of a sudden I'm going, uh, I think I'm doing that. You know, you and I were talking the other day, Diane, about when I was a child, people would say, you don't even know what job will exist for you when you grow up. And the world is moving even faster today. There are always going to be a need for teachers and doctors and things like that. But there will be a lot of jobs that we don't we don't even know. Self-publishing or small publishing or having lending libraries in our home, podcasts. These are things that were not a thing 20 years ago or not, not on a mainstream scale at all. We have no idea where 
our future is going or our children's future is. But these desires that we have in our hearts, they're not there for nothing. They're there for something. And when the time is right, as you said, Jody, the time is right. Mm-hmm. And it was great because, you know, in, in my circumstance, it wasn't something that felt like, okay, now it's a push. Now you have to do all these things. Now mm-hmm. there's a lot to putting together a business and having a web presence and figuring out, okay, how much am I going to invest right away time-wise? Right. In addition to monetary-wise, but how much time am I going to invest in a social media setup, in yeah. LinkedIn connections, in website, in blogging? I mean, now granted, I will count it a blessing that being with an active duty military member who is the family supporter, I got yeah. to build slowly. I got to, I, I was able and blessed to to take my time. Yeah. And so it didn't feel like a, okay, it's all happening and you have to just run, run, run. No, it was, and I get to do this. So. That is awesome. In that circumstance, you're starting a business, but nothing horrible happens if you don't make it. Right. But that, that's one of the beautiful things, too, is like we said, when you're called into something, the Lord makes the way. And yeah. so the thing that would be the hardest for you to do, he's already covered that. So he's going to ask of you the thing that you don't think that is the hardest, but is actually the hardest. The thing that actually stretches you and grows you and makes you into this new creature that he really wants you to be. And that's yes. what I love about these passion projects. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I look at your books, what you said is that, you want the author to feel like someone is caring about what they're doing and making their book go out into the world in the way in which it should. That's what I love about your books, the care that you put into your books. This is not just, hey, look, I'm going to throw up another copy of such and such a book. Yippee skippy. No, 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 no. This is a one worth owning. This is one worth holding in your hands because the cover is soft, because the pages are thick, and because the respect for the story has been shown. And can we just talk about your covers? How beautiful the covers are? Yeah, our main designer is Terry Schoen, and that was another just absolute God appointment because we happened to be in a group where I think it was Christmas labels. She had said, Hey, can I get some feedback on these Christmas label tags? And so I said, Oh, Hey, not being a designer myself, I have a connection with another person who is a designer. Mm. Would you like to join me in their group? And so she got some good feedback there. And So that's been really nice to have feedback from different people. She was just beginning her design journey and officially. And I was like, yeah, if you're willing to take a chance on Smidgen Press, we'll take a chance on you and see how that goes. I love that. It's been good. Uh, Our Frankenstein cover was Mm -hmm. a a friend of a friend uh, and her college daughter did the artwork for that. And then we compiled the cover then uh, from her artwork on the front. And Jonathan Lewis of John Lynn Creative did um, The Real Fairy Folk. So of course he picked it and I put a yellow background. That's my favorite color. So I had to love that one. (laughs) That one jumps. So I have that one on display and it just pops off the wall, which you wouldn't think that yellow against a white wall would pop, but it totally does. (laughs) So I can't wait till I'm officially open and kids go to reach for it. And that one's interesting because most of our books, uh, as I'm looking at the ones I have, most of the other ones are a matte cover just because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're 
bright-ish, but mellow. And, you know, we want them to look equally at home on a shelf of vintage books or a shelf of, hey, here's the stack I just came home with from the bookstore. (laughs) Um, But we got a test copy of this one in in Matt, and it looked it was awful. It was oh, just, it was flat. It was, so it was flat. just not good. I yeah. was like, we have to try this in glossy and it came in glossy. It, you never think about what, at least until that point, I didn't think about how much a difference in the color that coating makes on it, the cover. So Huge, huge. We've seen that. So obviously, you know that we're good friends with Jill Morgan and we've seen that as she's been trying different covers for the Miss Mantle books or the Elizabeth Ripley and going back and forth. And it's fascinating. Some things lend themselves to matte. And some to glossy. And I love that you obsess about that. (laughs) Because I love that the books then tell a story of their own. There's a story behind the story. And the beauty really speaks to the fact that somebody cared enough to put the right cover on this. You mentioned Frankenstein. When Sarah first mentioned you to me, I went and looked at your website. And I thought, oh, there's really not a lot of books. But Frankenstein? Why was that one of the first choices? It's not like there aren't any out there. <laughs> That's a really good question. And I, I would love to talk about our choice process. Yeah. That one and the Prisoner of Zenda cover was done by Summer Oliver. So the first book I put out actually was in 2020. And it was really before I had an understanding of what a target market really even was. I mean, I knew oh, that your from niche. a... Yeah. Yeah, from a client perspective, I knew that. But I was like, oh, yeah, just kind of in general, people who like old books. Like, they like old okay. books, yeah. Yeah, I have an 1894 copy of that that's still in, it's in fair shape. I just, I hated not being able to lend it out because I was like, oh my gosh, you've never heard of this story. It's a doppelganger, you know, whatever. Now that I've found so many more good books in the last mm-hmm. three years, I, it's not quite the same as high on my list of favorite <laughs> books, but it's still a treasure because that was right. the impetus to get Absolutely. me started. Absolutely, right. <laughs> so Summer Oliver, I reached out to her uh, as an artist and I said, hey, would you do some artwork for the cover of Prisoner of Zenda? And then um, I needed 10 additional images for uh, the interior to be able to republish it on Amazon because at that point I was still figuring out Right. How what to do was it. Where? How yeah. do you? I've done this for people who then publish their own books. Right. But what does that look like as a classic book reprinter? Yeah. So she did the artwork for that. And in, in the process of figuring out who are our target readers, what mm-hmm. what do they like? I, I So this friend of a friend, her daughter was a graphic arts student, Clarissa Hartman. And mm-hmm. so I said, I don't really care what you do. Let's just see if we're a good fit for each other. Will you, you know, pick a book and make a cover for me? And so she chose Frankenstein. So that's how we ended up picking the text. And then when it came time to put that out, we needed artwork to go Mm. with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, or an annotation. That's the other thing that Mm. Amazon requires. So we had an annotation an introduction or forward, sorry. We had a forward to go with that. And we found this artwork by Carl Lagerquist that had never been published in the same edition wow. as Mary Shelley's introduction that she wrote. I believe it's for the 1836 okay. uh, republication because it was released in 1818. And it wasn't credited to her. Mm. The publishers asked her to redo it and she rewrote the text. So the initial release, mm-hmm. her, her initial version of the book is in three parts. 
and is quite a bit different. So she revised it for mm -hmm. the 1936. Put it in the show notes if I'm wrong on the date there. But <laughs> I'll bet it was wrote, 1836. Thank you. Thank you. You said 1936. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever decade. That was like, you know, so 1900s, 1800s. It's all the same. I mean, she wasn't dead yet or anything. It's all good. <laughs> so the 1836 edition of... Mary Shelley's own introduction explaining the backstory of why she put this together. And then this artwork, putting those together into a one-of-a-kind edition. I was like, okay, there we go. Wow. So you found a story that needed to be told. So not just the text. The way that, the, the way that her introduction and that art fit together, that's a story in and of itself. And how many times... Do we say, oh, my gosh, I, I love the author's introduction on this, but my favorite illustrator isn't there. Or, oh, my gosh, the illustrator just ruined that edition, but I love the cover. And, and so I love that you have the ability and the good taste to know how to take the best bits and put them together in a way that is really makes it a new treasure. Sometimes that's interesting to see how it unfolds itself in the process, mm. because until until we got started on Frankenstein, I hadn't realized there was an earlier version right. of the story. And I'm like, why does this look different? Why do I have this? And this why? doesn't have that. Oh, yeah. okay. That's how that went down. So it is funny. I mean, authors talk about a, a character that writes themselves mm -hmm. or, you know, a story that, oh my gosh, the story just went this way. And mm -hmm. people who don't write stories don't necessarily, they're like, well, you write it how you want. And it's like, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. It's, it goes its own way, for sure. <laughs> so you started off printing books. What, what said, this is the book I want to do, and this is why I'm going to start doing this? This is, like you said, again, before you knew who your market was, you started because you wanted to do it. So it was, you said it was Enda was your first? Mm -hmm. And it's because yeah, you so had a copy that you couldn't loan out anymore. Yeah, so this garage sale find when I was in high school sometime uh, was an 1894 copy of The Prisoner of Zenda. And our friends had it in their garage sale. They were selling it for, I don't know, a quarter, 50 cents, whatever it was. <laughs> and I picked it up and I was like, oh, it has a castle picture in it. That That's neat. And then I saw the copyright said 1894. I guess maybe I've been a copyright nerd longer than I thought I have. Uh, <laughs> But I saw that and I was like, oh, that looks cool. The, the story looks nice. Yes, I want this one. And so that was kind of my, uh, that was the first book, you know, then the Imitation of Christ was my second little book that was yeah. kind of my, you know, these are, if there's a house fire, these are some of what I'm grabbing because. Right. These are things you care about. Yeah. I mean, it was a total of $5 worth of expenditures, but they meant so much to me because of, because I think because there was so much tied to hope there. Mm. Could I do this someday? Yeah. You know, or whatever. So then through college, I have, I'm like, I have this book. I don't think I took it to college with me. It stayed safely at home on my <laughs> yeah, shelf. Good choice. <laughs> but I was like, I, I have this story. It was really fun. I would love for you to be able to read this. How much do I trust you to loan you my getting fragile 1894 copy. Right. And so at that point, there really hadn't been, there had been a lot of movie remakes of The mm -hmm. Prisoner of Zenda over the years. 
um, and spinoffs and inspired by is, mm-hmm. but at least not that I could find growing up in rural Missouri. Sure. Uh, I hadn't found a lot in the way of an edition that had been redone. And so when the idea came up to go, let's see if I could reprint, I know how to format mm-hmm. print books. Mm-hmm. I know how to format ebooks. There is a great dearth of quality ebooks. Yes, there is. In the world. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. <laughs> yeah. So actually, that's another. I actually got started whole, more because of ebooks. But. There's a whole lot of people who need ebooks. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a book nerd. I love a book that feels good in my hands. I like having books on my shelf. And yeah, I have a trophy shelf. I have no problem having a pretty book that I've read and I get it up there so that I can remind myself I've read that pretty book. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. But there is a whole population of people who do need ebooks, either because they have very limited access or they do not have space. And there's real reasons for needing ebooks. And like you said, what, Diane talks about this all the time when she gets them for her Kindle and they're just like, Bleh. how can you even enjoy the story when you're trying to deal with the horrible formatting and all of the OCR problems <laughs> that don't get mm-hmm. cleaned up? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it was the magic combination of I have this book that I've loved for so long I could format this book in a way that it would be nice for readers okay my, my initial thought actually was just ebooks mm. because uh, and and then especially as I kept going into finding this target audience of people who wanted quality literature republished mm-hmm. and who liked pretty editions mm-hmm. like right. okay i definitely need a design partner for the pretty part yeah because that's not a gift i have and that's okay <laughs> but for the ebooks i was like i can i can help out other military families we Absolutely. have weight limits when we move places Absolutely. especially you know overseas gets even mm-hmm. m- more challenging um we have missionary friends mm-hmm. who they don't necessarily even just have a weight limit they may have a two suitcase limit Right, right. Um, other going to places where they don't have space. They're living yes. in very, very small places. Mm-hmm. Or in uh, areas where the conditions aren't nice for yes. books. You have them, but you, there's a risk for having them there. Right. Or they're um, on the move a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have inner city families who they they like the convenience of being able to, hey, I have a, I have a commute, you know, either from. Absolutely. Yeah. work to wherever okay yeah. let's take these for portability and then you have people who use screen reader technology so you have mm-hmm. individuals with learning disabilities mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially if you can find something that has an audio and an ebook Absolutely. option make the print as big as you want have the audio to go with it correct that's yes. something that we're hoping to get into but there are just so many different types of people that could be served well by a nice ebook and yeah I was about ready to just delete everything off my device if I ran into one more that had a weird font thingy or (laughs) like like, what even is this doing why do I have these little boxes with the crisscross in the middle of them (laughs) I was like I could do this darn it (laughs) and this is how I feel about audiobooks because I'm a heavy 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 audiobook consumer uh, we have, I think, over 700 audiobooks that we own. And that's just what we have currently because Audible keeps deleting books that I own. But that's a different issue. Um, 
And there's so many horrible narrators out there who are doing a terrible disservice to the book. I do not believe that just because the book has been read to you, it's been read well. No, I'd I'd rather not at all. (laughs) I was just going to ask if there were more, was more that you wanted to tell us about your selection process. You mentioned going back to that. Yeah. So that's been something that we've gotten a little more firmed up in the past year because after those first two books of not really doing a lot of the research to see what was already out there other than not a very nice ebook mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um now we we have quite a few probably a, a couple of dozen items that were either that are potentials for us because they are public domain or they're ones that have been a popular enough request that, okay, we want to move forward and talk to the publisher, talk to the estate, um, see if we can get rights for these. Mm, yay. Um, but the first thing that we do then, of course, is the copyright check. And we have kind of an in-house flow chart for, okay, what years was it published? Where do we need to look for this? Where mm-hmm. was it published first mm-hmm. um, to get that and see if is the text you know, quickly available as long as we can get a, a copy of it. Or is it something that we'd have to ask for permissions? Um, Then, and that can take anywhere from 10 minutes. If it's renewed, if the copyright's renewed, you almost always can figure that out within 10, 15 minutes. Not not always, but sometimes. Um, And then it's, uh, you know, a matter of looking to see what other editions there are. Is there an ebook version of this? Mm -hmm. And if so... Is it is it well done? Mm-hmm. If it's reprinted, is it well done? Right. Um, and and not just to, uh, we we don't even look at at what other publishers are doing. If it's been requested, mm-hmm. um, I'll go through and do the research first. It's maybe I should see. Hey, did somebody already redo this and save myself that right time? Right. But anyway, um, but once we look and see, is there is there an ebook that's been done? Mm-hmm. Is there a print edition that's been done? And if they're both out there, even if they're not terribly well done, we'll sometimes reach back to the requester and say, hey, this has been a, uh, we have this reprint available. Is there something that you feel is missing in this? Is there a way that we could enhance this for Mm -hmm. reader experience, for learner experience? Right. The, you know, the way that I met Jill Morgan was that we were looking to, because we were all frustrated that Ralph Moody was not being reprinted in an elegant form. We felt like Ralph deserved that. And so my first conversation with Jill was, uh, I know you don't know me, but I run this group with, you know, 5,000 people in it. And we are always, always, always looking for Ralph Moody. Because even the original Ralph Moody's, they're not great. The original hardbounds, you know. And so even if you're going to find those, you know, for $75 or something on eBay, you're, you're still going to have kind of a, a poorly printed book. And so she said, well, would people really want that? I mean, Bison Books has all the paperbacks. And I said, but there are no legacy versions of the hardbound. I want a set I can hand down to my grandchildren. And she said, people want that? I said, yes. <laughs> and, and you do such beautiful books. And she said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and so that was her like step out of the other kinds of books she does because she said, oh, I didn't think about the fact that 
we could do something really worthy with that. And I think that's what you're Mm -hmm. getting at, right? Like if this is a story that's beloved, what is it that's missing from it that doesn't feel worthy? How do we make this book one that you say, yes, that is a printing that stands up to the story itself? Well, you mentioned um, wanting to reprint your 1894 version of Prisoner of Zenda. And one of my favorite books is Lorna Doon. And I read that lying on my stomach with the book open on the floor because I had bought it at a used bookstore and it's in 1890 something or other and thinking, oh, this is probably going to be really boring. And then just falling into the story. <laughs> and so um, we were, we've been talking about doing something with that, with book clubs maybe. And so I wanted to get another book that I wasn't afraid to read and mm-hmm. got it. And it's one of those reprints where they crammed every word on the page that would fit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm asking you if you will do a beautiful copy of Lorna Dune. <laughs> I love Lorna Dune. And actually, until Eli Evans did a a write-up on how many different uh, versions there are, he has a collection at Exodus Books. I didn't realize there were so many of them. Mm -hmm. And that I I don't know if the copyright page in my Lorna Dune said it was abridged or not, but it was most definitely abridged. It's like, no wonder the story felt a little... Rush. Weird towards the end. What I, I don't, I still don't know what they left out. But we'll we'll happily put Lorna Dune on the list and just see. Okay. <laughs> don't forget that I'm old, so you might want to move it to the, closer to the top than otherwise. <laughs> you will not. So, out of all the other editions that are out there, how do you feel like this could be improved? I haven't seen them, I guess. But what is it that you want from it, Diane? Tell her that. I want it to be as pretty as my 1890s copy, but safe to open up and read. Understand. Yep. So basically like the Charlotte Mason treatment. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I approve. Tell us about, tell us about how you came to do the Charlotte Mason book and all of the exciting things going on around that. All right. So Charlotte Mason is an interesting one because... Um, I was homeschooled back in the dark ages when people thought our family had joined a cult or something, you know? And, (laughs) um, so when I was in high school and college, my parents helped run a curriculum fair, um, for the, one of the state homeschool conventions. And so I had heard the name is Charlotte Mason, Mm -hmm. but you know, everything was this curriculum or that curriculum Mm -hmm. and, you know, don't mix your curriculums, except for Saxon math. That's allowed. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah Saxon math's been around a long time. So I had a college friend who I was talking about some of the things that, you know, I wanted to do with our kids and be more in nature. And hey, maybe journals are a good idea. And yeah. she's like, have you heard of Charlotte Mason? And I was like, it kind of rings a bell. And that was right as I was getting into seeing people who like a good book, who mm-hmm. like a well-done book, who mm-hmm. like a pretty well-done book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? A lot of them know the name Charlotte Mason and they talk about Charlotte Mason and mm-hmm. they, hey, what is there about Charlotte Mason that connects these people? Mm. So probably by 2021, I was looking at, okay, now that we're finding our target readers, could Smidgen Press do something Charlotte Mason related. Mm. Is there something that hasn't been done before that that we could do and fill a gap right. in 
in the books available. Right. And I was like, no, there's a lot, a lot of stuff. I mean, not. We've come a long <laughs> way since the pinks. The pink books yes. have been yes. mercifully the pink books. Praise God they had them, right? Like I got my yes. pink books when they were like $300. Um, <sighs> right? I didn't pay that. Somebody found a set and, and gave it to me. Yes. Wow. Yes. I was very, very grateful. Wow. But that was the going rate. It was $300. <laughs> Praise God that some beautiful publishers have come out with some better editions of Charlotte, Anthony being one of them. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. So seeing, once we kind of made the connection that all of these books were replications of the very first edition, which when we were working on... Um, philosophy of education and getting to work off of a first edition there and comparing it to my 19th edition, I think 19th, 14th, something like comparing that. it to my later edition that I had. Mm -hmm. um, I'd pick random page numbers and go through and go, it's the exact same thing. So yeah. it hadn't been, the margins had been made smaller. Right. The original book is almost a six by nine book with of course the really thick paper. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, this would be really nice if it were bigger print. Mm -hmm. But not wanting to, not wanting to disrespect the other people in sure. the fields yeah. who were already putting these things out, um, we wanted to see how we could enhance the reader's experience in a way that would honor the reader, honor Miss Mason, honor the other people also in the trenches with us. Yeah. I that's not a good way to say that. Yeah. Well, to yeah. honor the work that others. Honor the other people already in the book printing realm so tell for all of the readers who are all the listeners who don't know tell us how yours is different ours we're we've gone back to the original paper size mm -hmm. uh which is just a couple millimeters off of six by nine so ours is a full six by nine size the text itself i believe we set in a 13 point garamond variety so it's easily readable we've got um, a lot of spaces in the margins if people mm -hmm. feel like writing in their copy. And if they don't, then it's just nice to hold and open. For smudgy fingers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to the Charlotte Mason Institute and Charlotte Mason Poetry, we have two additional chapters that had been earmarked from Miss Mason's notes for inclusion in that mm -hmm. first edition that came out in 1925. So, Yay! I mean, it's been such a goosebumpy part of the process. Is that even a word <laughs> to say we get to honor this author, honor her legacy. So the additional chapter for the final part of the book was meant to be a second chapter in book three. Okay. And so I think that must have been cut while she was still alive, I think she may have chosen to exclude it for space purposes. Mm. Um, because after, I want to say 1921 or 22, you don't see a lot more notes about that being included. Mm. Where the original note at the bottom of the table of contents in the 1925 release then, two years posthumously, um, says, we've been forced to omit this thing, but you can get the pamphlet from Oh, the nice. PNEU. Yeah, got it. So we've added that in as an appendix. I don't actually know how she would have initially noted that, mm -hmm. but that's all case studies of, you know, hey, where did this 
where did this method work? How did this method work? Right. How many people have a note in there of, we didn't expect that the children would be able to do this, but <laughs> they are exactly. surprising us. The children are surprising us. The children are remarkably <laughs> capable. And so, and you have a few instances where it didn't work as well. As they thought, right. As they thought, which mm -hmm. stood out a lot to me when I read it because I was like, oh, that's, I loved her honesty yes. that she collected all these things for her to be the scholar and to take all the data points and go, this is, this is where it works well. This is where the shortfall was. Right. And uh, how can we? And that would be so encouraging to mamas. Mamas who are in the trenches trying to understand what Miss Mason is saying, to be able to go and reference that and say, oh, look, this, this, they struggled with this. Or look, their kids were able to do it. I should persevere. I should try to persevere. Or I should try to modify this so that it suits us because it, it does seem like this was successful. I think that mm -hmm. that could really be an encouragement because one of the hard things in homeschooling is that you never really know if you're doing it well or not. Unless you've got some objective standard, and even then, what is that? Um, Diane and I were talking because my son completed the CLT, and he got his results today. And, you know, he's he got one wrong in one section, like one, in one whole section, 99th percentile. And in the other one, and another one, he was like, I was like, so I didn't teach him any of that? Like, what? I missed all this? He only got 60% on this section? Like, what did I do wrong there? You don't really know what you are mm -hmm. and are not doing right. Even if you follow someone like Miss Mason and do all the things, you know, she says children should be out of doors every day. I live in Northeast Wisconsin. In <laughs> February, we're not doing a nature walk when it's 35 below. We're just not. You know? So it it's nice to be able to have those case studies and say, okay, mama, your situation. It might be different than these, but here's some road testing of that. And you can just look at that and, and judge yourself against that a little bit if you need that encouragement. If not, just skip right over. No big deal. Just carry on. So mm -hmm. I think it's a real benefit that that's there. And I don't know that if you're a young mom and you're overwhelmed, you're not going to go looking for that. You're not going to go looking for a reprint of the pamphlet. So to have it in the volume, that's that's a value add, Jody. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if any of those PNEU pamphlets, Exist? I guess they would all be online. Somebody Maybe. must have yeah. them. Yeah, right? yeah, they must be online. <laughs> so now somebody somewhere at the Arbit has scanned them. Yes. So you started with <laughs> your favorite book. You started with Frankenstein. You're you're doing Charlotte and you've done a lot of stuff in between. How do you now, where do you find, see yourself as a publisher? Who, who is your target audience? Who are you hoping to make books for? You know, I think there are so many readers who want to sit down with an uninterrupted story, mm -hmm. with a story that they can be immersed in, mm -hmm. whether that's a new story that they've not met until just then, or whether it's an old favorite that Oh, hey, I forgot how much I loved this. <laughs> Wanting book friends. Can we connect yes. over this book? Do you enjoy this? I think that's why I love watching the other people who are the other publishing companies who are doing this and enjoying it and mm -hmm. whose readers are loving yeah. doing things with them. Like, yeah, it's a world right. that needs more book friends. Yes, it is. You know, I have been amazed over the last 10 years that I have been moving in book circles online. 
I've been completely amazed by the number of people with whom I don't know that I would have had a whole lot in common except a shared passion for reading in general or reading the same kinds of books or particular books. It's amazing. We talk about this about our book clubs. It's amazing how the book club is a great equalizer among people. You leave kind of all your stuff outside, but yet you bring your full self to it. And you can have an honest discussion about ideas and you can really meet another person and love another person. And it's because of the story that you're able to do that. Story is this great opportunity for people to get to know each other without even really realizing it. And Mm -hmm. I think it reminds us of our humanity, reminds us that we all belong to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we lived in Alaska, our first winter there, it was cute that the sun came up at 1030 and went sideways and then was down at 330. Uh-huh. And yeah. um, that was the second winter. It was not cute anymore. Mm-hmm. And my personality changed and I was diagnosed with a vitamin D related hormonal imbalance. Mm. And so that was, I mean, in in the moment when, when you're locked up with anxiety, you don't, there, there aren't always thoughts. It's just feelings feelings and instincts and things like that but mm-hmm. um you know as as each winter passed and i realized okay this is what i have to do not only in the winter but all the rest of the year to support my health i think about 3 years ago i had hit a rough patch in february that it just felt like things were not going to end and i Sometimes you have seasons where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. nonfiction is the only thing that's making sense to me right now. Right, or, right. no, I can't handle learning another thing. I can't handle processing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, self-improvement stuff anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. But, okay, do I really want fiction too? And, and so reading can kind of suffer then. But um, a modern author that I like had come out with a book. And I knew that I trusted this author. I knew that by the end of the book, everything was going to be wrapped up. And so I talked to my husband and my children and I said, can I have a couple of days off where I'm not doing dishes? Not that I'm not mom. I'm here if you need me, but right. can I take a break? And yeah. so it was, I was in the house, but they handled meals. They handed, handled dishes and whatever else we needed. And I took two days and I just read this new book. Oh, wow. And that gave me such a reset And I mean, it took me weeks to process afterward. Why did that help me? I was like, you know, because they went through these dresses. This couple in the book went through relationship challenges. They went through situational challenges. And you know what? Everything was wrapped up at the end of the book. It wasn't a syrupy, sweet, perfect ending. They still Mm -hmm. had family drama that was involved in there. But it was a, it was a, closure system for me that let me feel like something had worked something Um, I finished an entire book for crying out loud (laughs) and and then I was able to go back and be mom again so yeah and to be a a more fully present wife to be a more fully present mama Mm -hmm. in the middle of no this is still a hard season but I'm okay so that's made a big difference for me too of okay what what stories are are you missing that we can give that can do the same thing for you. That's right. I love that. So you started out with ideas about how you were going to develop your business. And then as you go, they change. Um, what are some of your dreams for the future of Smidgen Press? Hmm. Well, I'd say one is actually coming true right now because with having our cute little 
tiny hardcovers, um, being able to offer multiple sizes of that. Mm-hmm. We haven't been able to have our small hardcovers, our standard sizes, and our now two eight by ten um, illustrated children's books. We haven't been able to ha- list those all on the same platform oh. for various reasons. And so now that we have our own dedicated store and we've found a printer who will handle our entire range of sizes, nice. who will handle individual color pages. Because if, if we want color pages on Amazon, they charge us to print an entire book in color, even if it's only one Three page pages. in color. Yeah, exactly. Right. So mm-hmm. so this company will uh, is their, their charges are very fair. It's per black page, per color page, um, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And we have the opportunity to even do some larger art books if we decide we want to. We have a range of paper that, you know, you can get glossy paper for your big illustrated editions and you can have more standard paper for the small ones. So being able to have all Smidgen Press's books all in one place, that's a dream that's coming true. And I'm excited about it. I'm yeah. exhausted by it because it's such a really big effort to get everything formatted to the millimeters for the new sure, sure. setup, but uh, that's coming along. Oh, lovely. Um, ultimately, I mean, a big, big pipe dream would be for Smidgen Press Editions to be on the shelves at bookstores beside the Folio Society editions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was really encouraging because they put out a post not too long ago um, showcasing their 75th birthday of the Mm. Folio Society. Uh And so I was like, oh, good. They weren't a a company that started at the same time Smidgen Press did. And they were just, you know, all. (laughs) No, this is a a realistic long-term journey. Yeah. I I don't know what that looks like um, Mm. and exactly what time that is. But as we're able to... Um, to bring in more compensation, we'll be able to hire more people to help out with the process and be able to turn out products faster. Right now we're on track to do four to five books for 2023. Um, If things picked up, we could get more done faster. So it's that balance of, you know, what's a wise business choice. Sure. Sure. What's not. Because you're doing yours are print on demand, correct? Yes. Yeah. All of our books on our website right now, um, this printer is also a print-on-demand facility, which is very helpful because as a military family, we typically move every two to three years. Um, We're moving again this summer. Hmm. And so we didn't feel like it would be fair to readers to try to do print runs and warehouse and get shipping out in the midst of all the stuff that could potentially be disruptive. So. We are only set up for print on demand right now. And we'll look at doing some Kickstarters and special editions in the future. Nice. Um, Well, I really am impressed, though, with how far print on demand has come, that more and more beautiful options are coming to print on demand. So when you say that you want your books to be of the same caliber uh, as a folio book, print on demand is headed that way. I mean, really I still is. think an offset book is an offset book. It's pretty gorgeous. But yes, agreed. But, but print on demand is pretty impressive and the future is exciting. Really is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yay. 
Well, Jody, I am sure that this is not the only conversation we're going to have. <laughs> it's really exciting to be able to talk to you right here, right now. And then as you yes. do exciting projects, we can have more conversations and everybody will already know you. So oh, thank you. I'm so glad you came today so we could let people get to know you a little bit and we could see you again. Sorry, everybody. You can't see us, but we can see her. <laughs> <laughs> and and thanks for keeping us on track, Diane. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's what I do, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fantastic to connect with you both. And thank you so much for the honor of the invitation. And I'm blessed to know you both. Thank you for accepting it. Well, friends, as always, if you head over to our website, you will find robust show notes with links to all the things we talked about. And also, if you want to talk with Jody, you can find her on Facebook, on Instagram. We'll have those linked in our show notes. Also, you can join her in our favorite place to meet and talk and, and have friendships with people, which is the BiblioGuides online community. She's over there too, so you can find her there. And we're we're testing out TikTok to see if any of our people hang out over there. So you have to aggressively train the algorithm for what you want it to show you. So now I have all these book accounts and vintage books. And hey, look, this book only went for 12,000 euro at the blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> nice. so it's fine. <laughs> and so friends, Jody is really serious about wanting to know what it is that you want to see. So what's your unicorn? What's your dream? Go ahead and tell her. Better yet, do her a favor and do us a favor. Go on our Facebook page or her Facebook page and comment there because then the algorithm knows that you care and that helps all of us. So if Absolutely. you want if you want to see some books, go spam our Facebook pages with all the book titles. <laughs> we would love it, friends. <laughs> well, thanks you guys. <laughs> thank you so much, Jody, and thank you so much for listening, friends. Until next time. Bye.